0: Look, people, remember our previous episodes in this podcast? We invited teachers, we invited experts, we invited people who create plans for teachers, and we always talk about games and students and kids, and we never actually invited an actual student, an actual kid. We cosplayed a student. Down below, and see the the previous episodes. We eventually managed it. We have... uh, our main expert in this panel today uh, to talk about games, about how cool it is, and uh, is that, Max? How would you, how would you, how would you introduce that to the audience? Why is he cool, and is he? I can introduce
1: myself as a kids' game expert. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> I play a lot of games usually, so um, I guess I could say that.
0: Uh, Paul, we will give you a chance to, to introduce yourself in a second, but Lera, what are you doing on the stream?
2: Oh, yeah. Hi, I'm Lyra. just in case. I'm a producer, editor, and I do all the stuff and that nobody can manager, see. community manager, and
0: you have to bachelor or bachelor degrees in uh, game dev. And... Yeah,
2: but that's not interesting. That's not
0: interesting. <laughs> yeah, uh, my background is also in game development, worked at Unity, worked at King, and I'm just like a techie person and helping out like to juggle the streams. Rita, you, Who are you are in Game Dev 2. What do you do?
3: Uh, what do I do? I have a startup. I'm actually an, I'm an actual entrepreneur. I'm currently working as a business development manager at Ludenio. And I'm really enjoying that at this company, we're building educational games to park curiosity in kids. That's our mission. That's in our DNA.
2: That's why we are all here.
0: <laughs> That's impressive. Cool. Paul, and uh, um, I'm looking at your website, and uh, your background looks amazing. You do so many things. So, what is, I know, how do you introduce yourself when people ask for a short intro? Uh...
4: What do you say? I, well, fundamentally, I'm am a, I'm a f- first and foremost, I, I was a teacher for 20 years. Uh, I'm an educator, but I have done, uh, for a good chunk of my career, I have spent time thinking about all the ways that games intersect with learning, how we can leverage games to improve learning. Um, uh, I've used commercial video games, uh, in classes, uh, to, to engage students in really meaningful ways. Um, I've designed games, uh, that, uh, classes that run like games. So I'm, I'm very interested in seeing how game mechanics can be used to change education. Um, and I write about the work that other people do with games in education. And, and now I, I teach a class at the University of Toronto to young teachers to, to help them think about how they can use games in their practice, both commercial video games, games that they make, and how they can improve uh, their classes by using game elements to make it more entertaining for their students. So
0: it sounds to me that you don't even question if games are useful for education. In, in no. all our previous episodes, this was like the question we, we used to dance around. Like, are games useful? How to make games useful for education? And you even don't question that. So what leads you to believe that games are actually useful in education?
4: Yeah. So I, I'm a game fundamentalist. I don't I don't have any any crisis of faith when it comes to with the use of games in education. Um, and I think what it, what the way that I, I begin by answering that question is um, the way that nature teaches is through play. You know, the use of games in education is not something that we're inventing or it's not a novel idea. It actually goes to the fundamental way that even animals learn about how to uh, encounter their environment, how to survive in the wild. And all games are are designed forms of play. Um, And I think that one of the the problems we're encountering in modern education is that once education became industrialized, um, the systems of efficiency and uniformity that turned schools into factories um, lost sight of its origins as a form of play where you're motivated to learn through acting, through through making things up, through simulations, through fantasy. And I I think that what um, the the work that I do tries to recapture is that sense of play and engagement by using very sophisticated systems that we like to call games uh, as a means to enhance learning and make learning more meaningful.
2: Paul, you're super cool. You're like an expert. And uh, we really like to talk with experts about this. But the thing this, and I'm wondering so much, I want to ask from Max. What do you think personally about games in education? Because we're talking, this is all about for kids. So what do you personally think about this? I think
1: it would work because the game, all games we are playing in class is what? Some bad learning math games that um, it crashes like every three seconds. But it would be really awesome to have um, <laughs> actual like games in school. Because um, there's a lot of games that people just write off as um, nope, can't have them in school, but they all have um, good positive effects on students. And we'd probably so, be playing them even um after school.
2: So what kind of game are you expecting, like, to be in school? What 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 kind of game do you want to see? Boring game,
0: fun game. No, no,
2: yeah, like how it's supposed to look like that you would look that you would like it, so it would not be like boring math game.
0: Or do you want teachers to tell you how to play, or do you want teachers to just give you the game, like go play, and they would leave <laughs> well, the class and leave you alone?
1: <laughs> I think that um, what I would do is like in our old, in my old school, it was like this room with like a ton of Chromebooks, and then they would kind of leave us in there, like the bad math games. But I think that um, the teach the um, school should upgrade on the computers and. Invest on that. And, um, we could, like, they leave us alone with, um, an actual, like, learning game, kind of like, um, Learning Factory. In, or Minecraft, too. Those both have, um, a lot of positive effects on students. Like, on Learning Factory, you learn supply and demand, which can really help in future life. And, wow. you learn to gather resources and use them carefully, which also is, very important to use in the actual, real life. Oh, I have a
2: question for you. <laughs> oh, sorry.
0: Dick, how did you get such a clever <laughs> kid? Uh,
2: yeah, uh, that, that's the first one. And the second one, uh, as a parent, how do you see this, all the situation that like kids are like, oh, let us play the game. Like,
4: uh, well, What, what I mean, kind of
2: opinion do you have as a parent, not as an expert?
4: This is yeah, great. I I listen I I'm a very game friendly screen friendly parent I I think everything in moderation right because not all games are educational not all game experiences are positive right I'm not I'm not at all somebody who thinks oh yes please spend you know 20 hours a day playing Call of Duty in your basement every day that's wonderful you're learning so many things uh, you're always learning something
1: Yeah, right? we learned how to rob a bank in GTA 5
2: today
4: That's right that's good son well done <laughs> The first bank robbery we attempted—he's
2: amazing.
4: <laughs> the first bank robbery we attempted was a failure, so we practiced on GTA Five, and now we're much better at it. That's awesome. Uh, but I like—I like that Max brought up Minecraft, for example, because that is—that is, in my opinion, a wonderful learning game. I'm also a big fan of Learning Factory after having played it. Um, as well. Um, because it, it's almost, you know, the problem is that, that schools are guided by very narrow curriculums, right? So one of the, one of the problems with using games in a, in a school environment is that teachers are a little confused about how to assess a game. And, and so if you take a very simple, not a very simple, actually a very complex game called chess, Right, we we're all familiar with chess. There's no doubt that chess has very positive cognitive benefits. That 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 if you play chess, your mind starts thinking strategically. That you're forced to think several steps ahead, and these are transferable cognitive skills. What that means is that that whatever you do in life benefits from thinking ahead. Uh, uh, Logically sequencing material can be a very positive thing. The problem is, how do you measure that? If a teacher has a chess game in a classroom, how do you actually measure the cognitive benefits that they're getting? And it's a very difficult thing to do. So because it's a difficult thing to do, it's typically not included as part of the curriculum. There's a bias in curriculum to produce activities and and, um, assessments that are measurable. And this is where we get into more complications with games because when you have an incredible game, uh, a video game where there's so many different things that you're having to balance and learn and resource management and strategy and tactics and communication and conflict resolution, all of those are very important life lessons that you're actually practicing in a very engaged way But because it doesn't fall into he can spell cat correctly rubric, it becomes a little bit difficult to fit these games into the curriculum in a very neat way. And maybe part of the problem is, is instead of trying to fit games into the curriculum, maybe we should start developing curriculum around games to start thinking about, okay, instead of saying we're using a game for science, Let's see this game and see, oh, there's some science that goes out of this and some language that goes out of this and some history that and, and, and having a multidisciplinary approach to education that is born of these experiential uh, experiences that you have during gameplay.
0: But, Paul, I'm listening to you and, and I remember that you're teaching teachers and uh, to my mind, your thoughts are, may sound a bit heretical to the to the to the leaders of educational system like you're saying no people like you are all wrong That's mm-hmm. just like play good games and figure it all out uh, instead of like Adapting what I want to teach into the box that you provide mm-hmm. So what do the leaders think about your possibly heretical thoughts?
4: Well, it's really interesting because education suffers from a disease and the disease that, that, that education suffers from, one of the many, to be honest with you, is that there's a lot of talk about how to make education better. You know, we embrace failure. We want multidisciplinary approaches. We want project-based learning. But there's very little implementation of these ideas that are talked about. Uh, And and I find that that because the system is hardwired like a machine to operate a certain way and people realize that the machine is flawed. Nobody, very few people would dispute that um, that education is broken, that we have that there are better ways to learn, better ways to organize our learning systems. But we just have not done that. So to answer your question, um, yes, school leaders, um, you know, they buy into the system that they're leading and 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 they're not necessarily always, you know, there's different types of school leaders, but they they have other things in mind. And the other problem is that there's a discourse that still plagues games that, you know, video games are, are addictive and video games are a waste of time and video games are in opposition. To homework and learning. And there's many people who don't know the game world who still buy into this this discourse that really is, is, you know, there's some truth to all of that. I'm not saying all of that is a lie and people don't understand games, but games are a very diverse ecology and And, as a result, there is a resistance uh, on many levels uh, to including more dynamic, more innovative elements into education, because we talk about there's a lot of talk in education about disruption and innovation. But there's almost a licensed form of disruption, which isn't disruption at all, or there's a very licensed form of innovation, which isn't always very innovative. Um, but so to to further your thought, the great work that is going on in our space in in the games and learning space is from very innovative educators who are pushing by creating models of how games might work in classrooms. And in the age of social media and blogging and YouTube, what's fantastic is that many of the teachers who are doing very exciting things with games in their classes can then share these models through networks. Um, And then eventually what's going to happen, it's almost like the, the, the school leaders are in a sandwich because the outside world, right, the world, the real world, is very amenable to the type of thinking and the type of attitudes that are born of using games for education. We live in a world that's increasingly resembling game-like experiences because it's no longer centered around the factory, it's centered around the computer. I better stop because my son is yawning.
0: Yeah,
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that's why I want to jump in. So... (laughs) Uh, we're all adults here and we're thinking, oh, we're supposed to change education in this way, in that way. But like we're changing education for kids, like as Max. So I'm wondering about you, Max, again. Uh, how do you see the lesson with the game? Do you want that teacher would give you a game and leave you alone? Or do you want some engagement with teacher during the time? Or oh I think, I think at first the teacher can't
1: really leave us alone, like at the beginning of the year the teacher kind of be there monitoring our screens because, like, the teacher needs trust. Like, we can't just be left in the room with, like, video games. Like, that never ends up well. Uh-huh.
0: <laughs> what, what can go wrong? What can go wrong? Yeah, what is... can go wrong? Yeah.
1: <laughs> the next time, like, next day, um, all the students are dressed up as um,
2: burglars.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, why is you. it
2: bad? That's fine.
0: Why is it bad? Yeah, it's like, that's, I mean... But,
2: like, the question is, again... Uh, so, look, if, for example, uh, there is a game and teacher is still explaining you something or asking you questions, will it annoy you or you'll be, like, uh, just playing and don't pay attention what teacher is saying or would you listen to the teacher?
0: Or, like, if teacher brings you a workbook and says, look, like, fill in the workbook around the game and then at the how, end of the class... Yeah, we can how play would the game. you
2: feel? Like, w- would you like
1: it? Would you like... Ew, uh, you I, mean? I think or... it'd be fine because in the long run, learning all of this stuff is really useful. Like... Um, if I don't learn this kind of stuff, well, um, life won't be that easy. It'll okay. be pretty difficult. So, I'll have to, um, uh, learn everything I can while I'm still young.
2: Oh my god, you're so smart. Well,
0: I mean, I, I'm like, Max leaves me speechless all the time. So, um, He's I'm very speechless. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Let's talk about GTA Five just, just because, like, that's. That's something I still have in my head. <laughs> the only thing that doesn't, uh, that's still left there after, after uh, I listened to Max and was like, oh boy, I believe in the future. If, <laughs> if this is the future, I, I want to see it. But um, a few minutes ago, Paul and Max, you mentioned GTA V that you played and then. No, I don't play it. He, okay, then the question about uh, then you want to mention that it's Peggy Peggy eighteen, I think. Yes, yeah, GTA oh. is yeah. Peggy eighteen. That,
4: Max is only joking about playing. He plays a, he's played a, a kind of a junior version of GTA five on Roblox called Mad City, um, because yeah, Roblox, like yeah, Roblox is, it, is that that's what it's called, right? Max, Mad City, yeah,
0: yes, yeah, yeah it's like Mad
4: City, something.
1: Like, my friend um, really likes it.
4: And I, I actually did my doctoral work on GTA 5. GTA 5 was, the, was, was my main study for, I, I studied how white adolescent males engage with race in Grand Theft Auto 5. And I did a lot of work around, I mean, it, it led to race, but I was looking at violence and, and gender and a whole bunch of different stuff and, and how they responded to it in the game. So GTA 5 has been a big part of my of my academic life. Uh, but i don't think my son is quite ready to be playing uh that game right now
0: i just um, remember how this game starts and i'm like <laughs> i mean it
1: was too violent oh, for long me enough, there'll be like gta 10 or something
4: <laughs> that's right i'll have to wait <laughs> uh, uh Well, I mean,
0: there is uh, on your Twitter, there is a picture of an article in a book. Living in media, why teach the world's most controversial video game? Yes. Uh, Yes. So why?
4: Well, uh, that's it's a big. You're gonna you're gonna see a lot of yawning from Max if I answer that question and and it's full breath. Max, but, it's not
0: for you. Lyra would yawn. Like I mean, that's <laughs> how usually I measure that I'm boring. I mean, I'm watching her. If she's yawning, it's it's it's, it's time to ask a different question. So you two can compete. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, Paul, why teach the world's most controversial video game?
4: Here, here's the situation that we have. It, it, it's it's all it's so funny. It, it, it's almost absurd. Where we have, uh, we, you know, the games that the kids, GTA 5 is unique on many levels. One, it's an incredibly, incredibly widespread game in the sense that they've already sold 160 million copies. Um, it's one of the best selling games of all time. Um, and it has influenced a whole generation of adolescents and some adults as well a whole generation of adolescents. And because of the violence and the very problematic content and the game's reputation, it's actually in the Guinness Book of World Records for being the most controversial game of all time, um, and and that schools push it away. It's like the last thing they want anything to do with is Grand Theft Auto Five. And my argument is when you're looking at games like Grand Theft Auto Five or problematic games, you're abandoning adolescents and children to these games. You're not giving them the critical tools to analyze and think about what they're doing and how they're playing. So my argument and and my my work is basically, you know, I, I do a lot of work in media studies, which is media literacy, having people think about the media they consume, which I think is an essential life skill, considering, you know, what I argue in my in my paper, that children and adolescents and even many adults, we live now in media. You know, what we're doing now, we're living in media We're we listen to music, we watch podcasts, we're, you know, we're we're streaming shows, we're playing games, we're on social media. And so we live in this landscape that is mining data and creating algorithms and making very powerful representations of race and gender. But we're not really giving the audiences the tools to think about how they might be affected and influenced by this great spell called media and and so my work with GTA 5 I use as an example to say instead of rejecting this game and leaving adolescents to pay, to play for hundreds of hours without c- critically consuming, I'm not saying stop playing, I think that's a mistake, but give them the tools to think about how they're playing and that's what's what my work, tries to show is by using this game and giving them the tools, how do adolescents start thinking differently about how they consume not just games like GTA V, but all media. And I have to say, my study was very successful. We had, you know, adolescents that started kind of who had already played, most of my participants had already played hundreds of hours of GTA 5. And by the end of the you know, the, the month long study that we did, they had a completely different view of the game, how the game affected them and how they saw media as a whole.
0: Well, Paul, let me resonate with your message in the following way. Being from the game dev industry myself, uh, I hang out with lots of like cool producers and people who made this game and you know visionaries. And the reason why we all stay in oh, wow. game dev industry is because we want to give people, players, the tools to emulate the world, like to try out what does it mean to be a bugler, what does it mean to be a killer, like so you do this all, all these mistakes in the game and not in the life, mm-hmm. and that's how many people in game dev world actually envision their craft. That's the reason. To keep making these games and that's to keep so telling the stories,
4: yeah. yeah, because that's what they are—they're laboratories, right? Especially for adolescents. A- adolescents are experimenting with identity; they, they're trying on, you know, different ways of being. Even my son, even Max, when he goes into a different game, he is a different kind of person in a game. The the what what he wants, his ambitions, how he presents himself. I mean, he spends a lot of time creating avatars, right, Max? Yeah, the way your avatar looks is very important to you. And because that's your kind of in-game representation and it allows you to make mistakes in the game that, that perhaps you're not going to make in the real world. So I'm very curious, Max. Let's looking at a game like, like Minecraft. If your teacher were using Minecraft in school, what are the types of things having played Minecraft that you think you might learn from Minecraft? Or could be well- used to teach from Minecraft?
1: It's really um, cool because they get you in mine uh, resources and then build with that resources. So it kind of um, gives you a bit of a, um, an idea of being an architect, you know? Like, you have to be constantly redesigning it. And you also have to think about the mobs, like the spiders, the zombies, the creepers. You have to design it in a way where they can't get in and they can't blow you up, or they can't, like, do anything... So, you really have to think about it when you're building a house, and I also think uh the whole like you're kind of surviving in like a world and you have to get resources that's um very similar to how the uh, real world can be, but in like different situations like in this situation, it kind of seems like you're stranded on an island, like a massive, massive massive island, and you're you're uh, trying to make an empire of houses and defeat the ender dragon and all that stuff but it'd be kind of similar to like running a business for example like you start off like maybe alone and then you gather resources you make like connections you build like different um you build uh, your shops in different locations
2: oh it's my god max sp- i'm enjoying talking with you so much i don't know and i have a question for you one more uh can you tell the things in general that annoy you in education right now very much?
1: Well, the things that annoy me a lot, like in school, like the things that annoy yeah, me Yeah, yeah, school, yeah, like yeah. in school, like well, in your
2: daily life.
1: What annoys me is, is that basically every year is the exact same thing, but with different, like slightly harder stuff. Like, um, I remember the younger grades, it was funnier because we had more free time, like in kindergarten. We got, uh, we got to, like, play with the Legos, we got to just have way more free time, we got to go outside a lot, but now in the later grades, like, grade 4, grade 5, like, and beyond, like, all that stuff, it's really difficult, like, you find that, um, it's just the same thing, and it gets so, like, outrageous, like, um, one of the teachers I used used like an old textbook in like 1990s or 80s or something. And like it's that was that still at the time where like uh, Pluto was still considered a planet. So but, I, it was like extremely outdated. So,
3: <laughs>
0: And I can imagine half of our audience like what? Pluto is not a planet? And like start googling that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah yes.
1: I'm, I'm like just the same textbook. Like. We have the, um, the Graveshide uh, um, textbook. And then I, uh, then uh, we went into a grade six classroom. And it's the same textbook. They're just using different things in the textbook. But they're all similar. Like, they don't really add anything new. It's just the same thing over and over again. Like, they don't try to um, take risks and add games, for example. They don't take risks and, and like, try new textbooks that are not outdated. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so
2: sad.
0: Well, Lera, that was your life too. Yes, you, I know, you, I know. You're fresh from the university <laughs> too, right? You can
2: never go back, Lera. <laughs> oh, thanks, God. <laughs> uh, she,
0: she, she actually switched several educational systems, like three different, in three different parts of the world. And she in each system, like, you suffered a lot, so yes. like, there is no system, single system that, that is good. Yes. But like, probably the Korean one was the hardest. In the yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's for another episode though I mean, we still have a few minutes and i i I mean I feel like we can chat for hours with with like in this group, but I'm mostly inclined to talk about gone home or we can talk about learning factor experience like. Let's talk
2: about learning factory experience. And Rita, if you have some questions, I think it's right time to ask from Max and from Paul.
3: Now really? or never. Now yes. or never, yeah. <laughs> no. I wanted actually to like leave it to the, uh till the end as a close up. So if you It is you don't mind, It is close up. It is close up. Okay. So basically at the beginning, Paul and Max you envision the future where curriculum is a game and basically one teachers like you know to step aside maybe still be our mentors but um games is kind of is the uh, first experience which teaches kids to like you know to to be smarter so basically how can we what we can do now to get closer to this future what would be step number 1 mhm i think step number 1 is
1: um make the learning factors of like learning factory more apparent like I know, like, it's so obviously there, but some people, they just can't see how much of a learning experience it is, even though it's called Learning Factory. Like, some people are like, what? This is just getting resources and spending them well. What is this? We're not learning anything. But they don't actually see it. So, um, it really have, like, uh, quick tips on, like, stuff like uh, building resources and stuff. And I also think that the supply and demand was a great idea and you should probably go farther with that because um, there should be like an icon under the game saying like supply or uh, like um, saying demand or something mm-hmm. and like you but usually the demand stuff is more expensive than the other stuff you know
0: and I'm listening to what Max is saying and I remember Lara playing this game and Lara you, str- you struggled with exactly the same thing that Max is outlining right yes, now yes
2: yes exactly <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's just so fun, but you're so aligned. So, Paul,
3: <laughs> I'm not that
2: much older, so you know
3: <laughs> so Paul, what do you think like what 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 can we do now to get closer to such future?
4: Yeah, I think what max said was excellent. I, I really, that to make the learning more apparent, because we have to convince teachers that that the, the, of the value of it and and the, the like as I suggested earlier, the fundamental system is or the fundamental problem is, that the way that the learning system as a whole is structured is not receptive to a much more dynamic and relevant way of learning. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, you know, a game like Learning Factory, I think, is phenomenal for for uh, the opportunities that it has to teach about very important and realistic ways to think about the world. And not just it's really funny, it's really interesting, but there's there's a there's an there's a hidden opportunity with a game like Learning Factory, because what you are buying into is an economic system, right? Where you're finding resources, processing resources, and developing an economy around those resources. But it's also an opportunity for students not to just think about how the economic system in the game is reflective of one of the dominant economic systems of the world, but you could also have them think about what other ways can economic systems work, right? Like what are the alternative economic systems? So you can use it as a learning artifact To not just think about what you're actually learning in the game, but as an opportunity to reflect on other ways, other systems using that as a a means. But I think that Max is right in saying that to make the learning apparent, um, then then educators become more aware of how they can use it. And when you use games um, for learning, typically, the way that you meet your learning objectives is through what's called context. The activities that you structure around the game, because you know, if, if if Max were to sit down and play Learning Factory for three hours, he could have a lot of fun because it's a very fun game. It's a it's a fun tycoony sort of simulation game. Um, but he may not stop to think about how what he's doing connects to the real world or what supply and demand is, and how that that's an economic principle that's at the basis of you know of most capitalist societies. But when you stop the game, you know if Dad is sitting on the couch beside him, watching and saying, "Hey, Max, you know what do you think? How does this relate to you know to the way that we buy things and and how prices are 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 set at you know at stores and on Amazon?" Um, And at that point, what we make him do as an adult or as a teacher is make him think about how what he's doing connects to the real world Um, and what Learning Factory is, and this is really important. Uh, And one of the most important reasons why you'd want to use games for education is that it's a simulation and the best way to learn is by doing, we all know that. I mean, I could sit there uh, you, uh, and and talk about programming as an abstract concept, like the, this is how you code and this is how you program. And you're sitting on your chair and you're like, I don't really understand anything this guy's talking about. But then when you sit down and you start coding and making mistakes and doing all that stuff, you start internalizing coding. Um, unfortunately, sadly, most of education is taught in the abstract we're, we're not teaching by doing. And it's really interesting how math, arguably the most practical of all of the, the of learning, because, I mean, math is used to build computers, bridges. Uh, it's all taught in the abstract. You you don't actually, you know, build a rocket ship using math to understand. So kids are learning all these complicated formulas, but they're not really sure why. And it's only when they start university and they take engineering that all of a sudden, oh, that's why I have to learn a quadratic equation or that's why I had to learn functions and relations. And and so the beautiful thing about a game like Learning Factory or any simulation is it allows students to learn by doing, by learning in situ. And it's not only more meaningful, it's more engaging, but they internalize the information much more deeply.
0: But, Paul, there is like a, a, a book that you might know called Teacher Pioneers. And you have an article there and where you brought Gun Home Game to the English class. It's mm-hmm. not a math class, it's an mm-hmm. English class. Mm-hmm. Can you share a bit more about this experience and uh, how yeah. games in non-tech education may work and what you can uh, do absolutely. about it? Absolutely.
4: Um, so it's really funny. We have, uh, in, it, we have something called English. I, I imagine in Russia. Do you call it Russian or do you call it Russian literature? Like where would you study, I don't know, uh, Lermanov or Ghostbusters? We or have Lermanov.
2: Russian language, Russian literature. It's like oh. two different.
4: Two different things. Okay. So Russia, we have it's all in, in North America, it's compressed into one and it's called English. In English, and what English is on the surface, traditional English is that we study poetry and books and learn how to write essays. What an enlightened English program, and we actually have a very good one in my part of Canada, is really what you're teaching is communication right? That's the fundamental thing that you're teaching. You're teaching kids how to listen, how to speak, how to write, how to read, and how to analyze media. If You're, you're really far ahead if you're including media in the program, but we still call it English, right? It's, it's like a, It's like an artifact of the past. So one of the things that happens in English classes is that many teachers continue to teach English the way that it was taught 30 or 40 years ago with poetry and books. And unfortunately, the reality is, Nobody reads the books. You have a, a class of 30 students. 25 of them are using the Internet to find out what's going on in the story in very quick summaries. The teacher knows this. They pretend that they think the, the, the books are actually being read. They do all assignments. And this is what I call the theater of English, where everybody performs. This, this act of reading, um, but nobody's actually reading. They're all reading summaries on the internet or finding out from their friends. And then there's the four or five students who are actually reading the books and God bless them, right? But um, but the thing about Gone Home, using a game like Gone Home, it's a beautiful, rich narrative game that that has all of the features of the kinds of things that you would want to teach in a story or in a play Um, except for it's not written entirely in words. It's a multimedia, visual, auditory experience. And what's really fascinating is the way that kids talk about, you know, a book is very different when they've actually read the book or they're pretending that they've read the book. When you're pretending you've read the book, it's like playing a survival game where you're kind of thinking very quickly about how you can talk about the book in a way that sounds like you've read it but you're not really thinking deeply about the book. So the magic about using a game like Gone Home is that everybody read the book, everybody played the game. They loved it. It was a two or three hour experience. They they explored the home, they found out all these family secrets. They 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 learned about these very rich and deep characters. So then when we talk about it, when they write about it, they're writing about something that is meaningful to them. They're writing about something that affected them emotionally and intellectually, and the level at which that they describe this is completely different. And what it is, it's, it's not, let's stop reading and play video games. That's not what I'm saying here is, but let's include video games, especially, for example, in English class, very rich narrative video games as part of the storytelling experience in the 21st century, because every generation tells stories in different ways. Our ancestors told stories orally around the campfire. You know, there, there were there, we, we then started telling stories by reading books collectively. Then we started reading books individually, then we started watching movies. And now we're playing games. And, and the 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 this is the evolution of storytelling. And to ignore these very powerful ways that stories are being told in the 21st century is completely missing the point. You know, we're we're not living in the real world at that point. So uh, my my use of gone... of how you can really connect with kids in a way that's meaningful to them uh, by using storytelling experiences that actually relate to the way that they like to consume stories.
0: Max, can you relate to all these huge... yeah
1: i can actually but i was gonna say that um schools they know the the learning properties of some of these games but they're not they feel like they're not ready yet. they're trying to reject them like for example some schools are now taking in minecraft and making like minecraft clubs and stuff but a minecraft club isn't the same as learning with minecraft you know But there's, even though they say, like, schools are, like, bragging to other schools, like, hey, we got a Minecraft club. Where are your your Minecraft clubs at? But it's not really helping them. Like, it's not learning with games. That's them playing games at school, just, like, playing them and not really thinking about how they can be useful. But they think that they're just, they're being, like, cool and they're accepting games by making, like, clubs for them. But that's, like, not accepting them. but still rejecting games by making those things. They have to actually, like, incorporate it with uh, math and stuff and social studies and stuff. Like, all that. And history. But they're not doing it. They're rejecting it. And, like, we have to, um, they have to get with the times and not reject it before anything can happen.
0: I only want to say that this wasn't scripted. We have met Max like forty minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> like he doesn't, he doesn't have a script. <laughs> he's not reading. <laughs> he, he's true. And also, I mean, uh, w- w- one more thing. So on last on... thing, we should
2: wrap up already.
0: Yeah, we should. But look, on Paul's view in Twitter, the first, the first word, like how Paul is presenting himself in Twitter, is like "dad." And now I can totally understand why. <laughs> like first dad and then indicator game designer writer, and like... Oh <laughs> Yeah, it you kind know, of works. That's so <laughs> you know, nice, works. that's
2: so cute.
0: Another problem that I think we have right now is... I have zero ideas how Lyra are going to compress this 50 minutes I will into not, 20. that's why
2: I'm saying uh, that we should wrap up because... Yeah, wrap yeah. it up. We, can, we it up. can do two episodes actually. <laughs> uh, no, this okay. will not work. <laughs>
0: She's the producer.
2: Yeah, thank you very much. Oh my god, Max, you're amazing. You're so smart. I'm like I'm impressed. I'm impressed. And thank you, Paul. Thank you. <laughs> and Paul, you're also amazing as a dad, as an expert, as an educator. <laughs> that that was really cool and interesting to listen to all of you. Yes. Awesome. Yeah,
4: thank you thank very you. very thank much. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for um
2: inviting us
1: to the podcast. We had a really oh. fun time. <laughs> for Bye. For so early. Bye. Bye.